following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Hey everyone, this is Denise. And before we get into today's gripping conversation, make sure to go to podcastone.com slash my survey or click on the survey banner at podcastone.com to take a very brief listener survey. Your response is really, really appreciated and the information you provide will help mentoring moments. Now on to the show. The following program is a Forbes and Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Denise Ristori, and this is Mentoring Moments, a podcast where smart, witty, and bold women, and every so often an amazing guy, are sharing their triumphs and their skids. We aren't just talking, we're taking action, and we're inviting you to join us every Wednesday in my New York City apartment, where we are proudly sponsored by the Business Platinum Card from American Express. And sitting across from the table from me today is a guy, Jean-Pierre Regis. Now, you may be wondering, why is a guy on Mentoring Moments? Because, because I love him and I think he's really cool, but he brought his mom. He brought Rebecca. (laughs) So the story behind all of this is Jean-Pierre is a pop culture millennial issues contributor at HLN, and he has swagger, personally and professionally. He's the founder of Swagger, an online platform that offers an unfiltered lens into street art and culture. And then a year ago, Jean-Pierre got this call from his mom. I, it was a voicemail that she lost her job. She's 70, she was 75 and she lost her job. So he did something a little crazy that I just love. He launched a Kickstarter campaign that raised almost $60,000 for a documentary called Duty Free, which I love the name of the documentary. And it's tracking a bucket list, a journey that he and his mom are going on together, living his mom's bucket list. And I just think this is like the journey of a lifetime and I, what is on the bucket list. And that's what we're going to find out. So Jean-Pierre and Rebecca, I am like so, so happy you are here. I'm just like smiling and we're going to have the best time. So I'm going to kick it off with my mentoring moment. Yesterday I was on the subway and a man gets on the subway and he says, you know, I'm not a loser. I'm a coach. i I'm a coach for young kids ages like 6 to 12 in Astoria. And these kids have nothing. I don't have much either. So, you know, you may not believe me, but this is what I do. And I'm asking for donations so I can help coach these kids in basketball. And, you know, sometimes we get skeptical, right? Because there are unfortunately so many people on the trains asking for money. But there was something about this guy that I thought, I want to help him. And, you know, if he's not telling the truth, oh, well, so what? You know, it's like, whatever, I'm going to help him. So I give him some money. And the guy sitting next to me on the subway says, do you have change for a 10? And I had all these bags and I'm standing, I'm sitting down. My bags are like all in my lap, right? So I'm not taking up space. And I'm thinking to get back in my purse, I have to put all these bags down. So I think I'm going to say, no, I don't. And I look at this guy, at these two guys, and I think, Really, all I have to do is like take a second. So I go in my wallet and I get the change for the 10 and I give it to him and he gives the guy who is asking for money a dollar bill. 
So the guy who's asking for money says to me, I want to thank you because this has been the most joyous moment that I've had today. And he said, and it's not about the money. It's about your spirit of generosity. Now, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back because we all have that. But it's more of the other way of saying that there was that long moment where I was kind of like, really? I got to put my stuff down. And then I thought about the times that we don't take out the time to put our stuff down, whatever that is in life. And my mom is, she turned 90 recently, and I've talked about her a lot on the show. And on her 89th birthday, she was dancing up a storm. Her 90th, she's slowing down. And now mentally, she's still okay. I mean, she still lives by herself, not in an assisted living. She doesn't want because she thinks they're for old people. Assisted living home, she tells me all the time, they're for old people, which I'm like, okay, mom, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. But yeah, might qualify, but we're not going there. But what it made me think is, yeah, every time I hang up for my mom, I'm always like, mom, I love you. I call her every day, at least once a day. And Rebecca's pointing to Jean-Pierre saying he does the same thing. And I never leave a conversation. And my husband laughed because it's like, it takes you guys 10 minutes to get off the phone call. Because here's what happens. I love you. I love you, honey. I love you, mom. I love you, honey. Okay, be careful. You too, mom. I love you, mom. I love you, honey. And it's just like it goes on and on. But the thing I've been adding to that lately is I've been saying to her, you know, mom, you're the best mom in the world. And that just it means everything to her, right? And for me, she is the best mom in the world. For you, Rebecca may be the best mom in the world. And for everyone listening, your mom may be whatever you define. That's not, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about mom. My mom to me is the best mom in the world. So that's my mentoring moment is that we sometimes need to put down the bags and say and take the time to say the things that can change someone's life. So normally I would ask you all to talk about my mentoring moment, but I have a feeling your mentoring moment's going to tie into my mentoring moment, so I don't want to take away your bang. So it's all yours. I can't wait to hear your mentoring moment. <laughs> well, I've had, uh, I've had mentors, but actually the mentoring moment I had was when Bill Clinton as a president came to a hotel I was working and we had the opportunity to line up and say, you know, thank you for coming and everything. And he handed me and the other people in the line, he handed me a little box with M&Ms in it and with President Clinton's M&Ms. He said to me, and I have a picture of this whole scene. I want you to know, he said, you made me feel at home. And in hotels, the business I'm in, that is why we're there, to make people feel they're in a home away from home. And ever since then, I've said to any ladies coming in and I'm training them for the job, make sure that when that guest leaves his room, you made him feel at home. And that's helped me a lot. And you, and you see that in guest comments, I felt at home. And just for them saying that, a big person, so much the weight of the world on his shoulders, he took the time. Well, I think that says a lot for both of you, right? I mean, it says a lot for you hmm. that he wanted to take the time yeah. to do that. And I didn't know you were going to, I didn't even know this story. So, but, yeah. but it really does play into yeah. the taking the time because it can make someone else's day. And especially if you're Bill yes. Clinton, that can make your day yeah. even more than me and the homeless man. <laughs> yes. it, it stuck with me. And, right. And it's something I pass along and I see it happening how it can carry on and that i think shows to the how you, the pride you have in your job mm. yes right yes. and we want to get into that i'm going to so jean-pierre what your mentoring moment my mentoring moment gosh well you know i think in a lot of ways it's happening right now you know i think you're right um 
my whole career, I've sort of made a career out of trying to be or being on TV and, you know, talking about other people. And uh, I remember last right before my mom lost her job, I was really struggling to find a story um, that I wanted to tell. And this was like during the era of, you know, the big fake news thing um, and and to me, I was like, well, what stories can I tell that I, that I think are really real? Um, and then my mom got fired. And not only was that a moment of enlightenment for me to say, uh, okay, this is my story, but I became so um, selfless at that moment. For somebody who's on TV is pretty selfish. It was a moment that I was like, like, yeah, go get the story, but it's not about you anymore. And none of these stories have ever been about you. Um, and, and so now, you know, it's just important to tell this story and to live my life in a way that where I'm not putting myself first. And I think that that uh, authenticity um, in storytelling comes through that way when you remove yourself from the story. And so um, is that being is that help you being be authentic and genuine? Totally. I mean, yeah, like I just need to let things happen and 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 uh, record them as they do and have no say in kind of how they happen or, you know, like on the way over here, we we're talking about my mom's mentoring moment. She's like, well, what do you think about that? And I'm like, mom, it's your mentoring, mentoring moment. moment. You know, like that's yours. Right. And I do have a question I want to ask you. Do you still have the M&Ms? You yes. didn't eat yes. them, right? Yes. Yeah, still do. <laughs> right. Did you ever even eat one? No. Really? No. 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 Oh, I'd have to have one <laughs> just to see I ate an M&M that Bill Clinton yeah, gave right. me. Still in front of the photo is the box. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. I, I would love to have a picture yeah, yeah. of that. That is great. Right. So back to... Yeah, no. So that was it. I mean, it was just a moment of like total clarity for me um, where and it wasn't a direct mentoring, if you will. Right. right. It was indirect. Um, but those are, that's what mentoring moments are. Yeah. Right. It's like Bill Clinton didn't say I'm going to be Rebecca's mentor. Right. 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 Um, it just hits you. OK, so let me go back a step. So when you were younger, OK, you weren't always really nice to your mom right. sometimes. Right. <laughs> so I've heard, yeah, so I've seen, right. so, you've seen. <laughs> so I've seen, but you're a really great person. Yeah. So I'm not, I don't want that to, I don't want people to think, you know, what a joke this guy is. Right. But I think like all kids, right. I mean, you're, you want things your parents aren't totally. getting, right. So I remember reading about your mom when you were in high school, mm. telling you, giving you advice about when you were writing, you were, you were writing a piece and your mom gave you some advice. And what yeah. advice was that? She always said, write from what you know. I love that. So write from what you know. Right. Only where did you get that advice from, Rebecca? From my teacher in school in England. I was lucky that when I was 11, I won the scholarship to college. And that's where I learned, you know, French and and this so very early on. But the the secret is you you start at the beginning, only write about things you know. That way you can carry on and you'll never worry, what shall I write next? You know the story. You know it. Right. I, I think that is great advice about all things. Yeah. Like, it doesn't mean not, not to go outside of your comfort zone. That's right. But I think yes. when you're when you're writing something. Well, yeah, it was really frustrating in high school, though, because I would always, you know, in high school, you're trying to, like, put on in a lot of ways, not only just, you know, with the clothes that you wear and the people you hang out with, but even in, in the, the art, the, whatever I was writing, right, I wanted it to be the best and flowery. And I would always catch myself, like frustrated because I, I didn't know what the next paragraph would look like because I was writing all this essentially fiction. And so my mom would always say just consistently, like, just write about what you know. And it was annoying at the time, but, um, but it stuck with me. And then when you started with Swagger, it started out to be something. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of lost your 
identity in that, right? Yeah, yeah. So I started with Swagger, and at first I started it in Paris, and I was just taking photos of young, really cool kids on the street. And I would write about the people, so there was a paragraph under each photo, just so you can get to know that person. Um, and then, you know, we were chasing clicks because, you know, we the needed to make views. money, the page views, you know, everybody's caught in that now, still. And so we started veering towards celebrity because that would bring in, you know, hundreds of thousands of clicks a day. Carda- put a Kardashian Put a Kardashian on. on it, and you could pay rent for the right. month, right? Um, and I just totally, completely lost my identity, and sadly, like, I think forced some of my, the people who worked for me to do so as well, right? To give up their integrity so that we could all get paid. And there was just a point at which I said, I would rather not run this site if I can't do it the way that I want to do it because I'm getting, A, I'm losing myself, but we're also getting lost in a sea of trash publications. Like it's just, nobody's going to know who you are. And so I veered from that and uh, it brought me here. So it was the best, best sort of epiphany I could have had. And Rebecca, what advice would you have given Sean Pierre about not being genuine when he was with Swagger? Um, well, I saw it as a passing phase, actually, when I saw it, because as fashion comes and goes, you know I mean, I see stuff in magazines today coming back that I wore, you know, right. when I was able to afford them. <laughs> but um, I saw it as a passing thing. I wonder where it would go from there. But I, the thing about, as a single mother, I always said this, what are you going to do in life? Do, and the same with my daughter, do what makes you happy. Make sure it's legal and make sure you can support yourself because you'll find your way. The same way as my mother, we, we, well, my mother died when I was 17, but I, unfortunately I had a good education and I was able to, to carry on, but um, you'll find your way. You'll find, you find your way as long as it, it's, it, I, I couldn't really pay for you to do all the things you wanted to do. And that was it. I couldn't financially help Jean-Pierre do the things. Right, but there's so many other ways to help. So let's yeah. get into duty free. Yeah. Okay, so let's tell that story. Yes, the best part. Okay, so you get the phone call. So I get the phone call. I'm in Paris. This is what's so crazy is that I was taking, you know, I lived in Paris and then I hadn't gone back for like six or seven years. So I chose to just go back and um, for a week and like rediscover myself in this new place at this new time in my life. And out of nowhere, I start to get some Instagram messages from a woman who worked with my mom. And she's like, you gotta call your mom back. And your mom's working in the hotel. In the hotel, yeah. Where you worked for how many years, Rebecca? In this particular hotel, 12 years. 12 years. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, this is weird. Like, is my mom okay? And I knew that I saw voicemail, but because I didn't want to pay for roaming charges, I didn't call the voicemail. And then I'm like, okay, maybe this, the voicemail will tell me more. So yeah, I called the, I called my voicemail up and it just says, uh, it was just so simple. I've just been fired. Uh, call me back. It was the, the quickest, most to the point, most heart, you know, dropping or, um, voicemail you could have ever gotten when you're six hours away by plane. I was like just fuming. I mean, but at the time, you know, um, my mom had not been loving her job. There was something, stuff was going down and uh, it wasn't clear. It wasn't, you know, my mom just started to feel like, why am I being treated this way? What's happening? So it all came to a head at that point. Luckily, we had already started taping. So in 
for her birthday, just a few months before I got that voicemail, um, I told her to write a list of all the things she couldn't do while she was working. And the idea was to take her out of her job for a day or two days every month and do something like a bucket list item. And we were going to call it playing hooky because we were just like playing hooky from work. And she was going to experience just it was it was a distraction because she was so upset at work. And then when that happened, it became a whole nother thing. I mean, when she got fired, not only did these bucket list items take on far more weight but there was more of a story there that was beyond the bucket list and really was about sort of um you know life at 75 um and how do you get back on your feet and can you survive the biggest loss of your life at the tail end and rebecca the answer to that is let's go through that so you you're fired what's the first thing that goes because i think regardless of what age it's harder as we get older right because we think oh my god who's going to hire me when i'm i'm 63 who's going to hire me when i'm 63 Mm -hmm. when i'm 75 Mm -hmm. but i think young people still have that fear because you have responsibility you have different responsibilities right you have families whatever your responsibilities Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. what if i get fired tomorrow and that happens a lot i mean in the entertainment industry in la here it's not uncommon that in one day out the next. So what was going through well, your mind? Well, not only do I have Jean-Pierre, but you know, I'm the mother of a mentally disabled son as well. And it's family first. And while Jean-Pierre can always go out, I always have to think, what about Gabriel? Bear in mind, I live where I work. Is the uncertainty of, and the shock. I was totally in shock when it happened and and just cried and cried and cried and just didn't even want to wake up. And and it's the worry about how am I going to survive with with Gabrielle who has his own, you know, his own apartment, but still, I I hadn't planned for it. My whole life has been a plan. Every, every, Every time I've opened up a department for a housekeeping, there's been a plan for the day. We're going to do this, this and this. You are the players. This is what you're going to do. This is what we're going to have it done by. Everything very... I was totally unprepared. And what was your know. position? I was the director of operations. Okay. And again, you know, a business decision was made to to restructure and have someone run more than just one or two departments and take the whole thing off. But I was totally unprepared, totally unprepared. And where I was going to be living, what I was going to be doing, Jean-Pierre wasn't there. My rest of my family is in England. And what would you do? What were you going to do for those hours of your day? Right. That's I mean, it. How was I going to fill my day? My mom has never uh, growing up. It was, you know, 14 hours a day at work, like literally no, no exaggeration. I would see her right before we went to school and then like three hours, four hours, five hours after we got home from school. It, w- it was your identity. That was your identity. And she said she was crying. I mean, there were times like hearing your mom tell you that she didn't want to wake up is the worst. I mean, it's the worst thing you could ever hear. So before we keep going with this great conversation with Sean Pierre and his mom, Rebecca, let me give a shout out to the business platinum card from American Express. It's the card I used when I launched my business. And that's because business can be done from anywhere in the palm of your hand and at the source. However you move your business forward with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum card, backed by the service and security of American Express. 
Here at Podcast One, we love hearing from you. We read every tweet and comment you send our way. So don't miss your chance to take our summer listener survey. Just go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner. Or go to podcastone.com slash my survey. It only takes a few minutes and it gives you the opportunity to make a direct impact on your favorite shows. Tell us how you really feel so we can get to know you better. We value your thoughts and participation. So check out the survey at podcastone.com slash my survey or click on the survey banner on podcastone.com. This is Mentoring Moments with Denise Rostari. So you came up with the idea to do the bucket list before Rebecca was fired, before your mom was fired. Did you even feel like doing the bucket list now, Rebecca? I mean, I think about all of us with our identities are so attached to what we do. There are some days it's like, you know what? I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just just tired. But then I think, what would I do? I mean, it's like, this is who I am. Mm. Well, that's true. But actually, we had, when we had started the bucket list out, we were going to call, you know, the filming playing hooky. And I'd already gone, for example, on the list of things to do. Milk cacao in Vermont. How'd you come up with that? <laughs> Jean-Pierre's rolling his so eyes. So um, I had made a list. Milk cacao in Vermont. Because I just thought it was just a fun thing to do. I wanted to do all the things, the family things. For example, guests would come to the hotel and I'd say, what are you going to do? Oh, we're going up to a farm in Vermont. The kids are going to milk a can. I'd listen to this. Or the marathoners would come. We're going to run the marathon. We're going to do this. So that's something I would like to do. Oh, we're going skydiving in Denver when we finish here. Okay. <laughs> is and skydiving then, um, on your list? Or is uh, like, yes. Is yes, oh, wow. we're going skydiving in Hawaii in December. Wow. Uh, September, is it September, December? I want to do always, when I lived in London, um, people were always throwing a penny off the London Bridge because it was, uh, you know, it was supposed Mm -hmm. to be very lucky and I needed luck in my life. Okay, I want to throw a penny off the London Bridge. So we went all the way over to England again. I had never baked a cake with my granddaughter. My granddaughter is 11. I hadn't seen her since she was three. Now, how many grandmothers haven't baked a cake with their, their granddaughter? None, not not when they're eleven years of age. So we did that and we filmed that, and it was so much fun. What kind of cake did you? What kind of cake did we you? We made. Um, actually, it was a Betty Crocker because for the sake of. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter is not um, set up to, you know, like a home. She 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 works to, to, to make from scratch like we had to do when my mother taught us how to do. So it was easier for filming and the time span of filming to, to make that. But it turned out very well. It was very delicious. It was good. Chocolate with queen. Mm-hmm. But we always used to make everything homemade with my mother. My mother was a midwife during the war. She delivered babies with a tin bathtub overhead because bombs were coming down. And oh this gosh. is what I say about Sean uh, Pierre and me as we go on through life. My mother would come home and then she'd go make dinner for everybody in the street because everybody was on rationing and we were lucky we could get meat, black market meat and stuff. And say, how can you do that, Mom? How can you not much wrong with them that can eat and there's nothing I can't do? And that's always been something, there's nothing I can't do. And that's why I said, there's nothing you can't do, Jean-Pierre. You can do it. There's nothing I can't do. I may be 75, but there's nothing I can't do. I love that. I love that. So that's how that's how we've gone on with the bucket list and different things we want to do. Okay, so you want to milk a cow, you're skydiving. You walked the walked marathon. Walked the marathon road. Yeah, it took me two days, but I walked the marathon road. In 95 degree heat. I love that. It was amazing. Um, join Instagram, right? Yeah. 
And how's that going? Uh, she has more well, followers than I do. 4, I'm sure. I'm not really sure. 4,244. <laughs> um, I'm growing. Yeah, I'm growing. another thing I'm going to do next month once, and, and, and it's basically all tied around why I was working. I mean, now this is my, the movie is about all you give up for your work and your job. But one time in Detroit, I was uh, I was working a split shift, and it was a really muggy, rainy day. It looked like it was going to rain. I had my umbrella. I was waiting for the bus to come to go to my split shift job. I went over to the street. There's a bank. I looked through the windows to look at the clock, and I saw all these people lying on the floor. I thought, oh my goodness, I didn't realize it was that hot. Looked at the clock, it was nearly three. Well, outside my umbrella, next thing, doors fly open, two guys run past me with paper sacks and money flying everywhere. It was a bank robbery. <laughs> I never even thought. I see the bus coming and I hear the police cars coming. Duh, 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 duh. And the police says, what do you see, miss? What do you see? I didn't see a thing, so I have to go to work. Off I went. So now I'm going to go and fly a kite in that same spot. Oh, I that's say, Now it's all about me. I'm playing. Forget work. So that's why I'm doing that. So there's a reason for me. It might not be clear to everybody, but to me, it's very clear. Yeah, some people are like, what? <laughs> She's flying a kite in Detroit? Why? You know, it's, it, it's interesting, though, on these bucket list adventures, not only um, is it a moment of freedom for my mom, I think, um, but it allows me to tap into her past. So to be able to go to Detroit, like my mom had her first child there, her daughter, yeah. um, and her first marriage and our first divorce like so i'll learn and the last divorce (laughs) but we'll uh we'll go there in a couple weeks but you know it's my my plan to learn all about that i don't want to ask any questions before i want to learn on site like what was that time in your life like and you know as you're older like you don't get to ask the all the questions that you you've wanted to ask for sure yeah. That's one of the other things I'm doing with my mom more recently is you're know, asking her questions about growing up because number one, it gets her her mind. She can remember things from 70, 80 mm-hmm. years ago, but she can't remember. You know, I said, Mom, what'd you have for dinner tonight? And she no can't idea. remember that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it takes her back into those. She can remember things so vividly. It's like really, but it's great to hear those stories. So when you lost your identity, have you been able to find it? through you're finding it again through the bucket list and through I'm, seeing I'm who you finding really are me i'm finding me and I'm, I'm i'm taking pleasure in the fact that i i'm sharing it you know i'm sharing it with jean pierre we, we he and his little world of his his <laughs> tapping on his computer and his phone and and his filming but really now we're reconnecting you know on a human level like my mother and father did with me we didn't i grew up with no tv i grew up with no phone or or anything like that so people talk to one another we, we walk through life together we didn't just talk about it we walk through life together and that's it's, what uh, I'm, I think he's learning now he's walking with me through life again yeah definitely I'm spending a lot less time on my phone that's for sure really which is a good thing I love I just love your spirit Rebecca it's just so great <laughs> so looking back now what are the, if you were talking to a 30-year-old, well, you are your son, <laughs> what advice do you have for young women and men saying, you know, looking back, here are the things I wish I would have done or I wish I wouldn't have done, just a couple of things that you wish? I think what I would have done better, I would have set boundaries with my work. I would have said, this is what I'm prepared to do for you. You can count on me to the very best I can, but my family comes first. But were you in that situation, though, because you were a single parent? 
that you're sometimes I think for single I was a single parent also and your work does have a different importance it had a big importance because in the days when I had I was in my 40s when I had uh, these children I was 30 when I had my my daughter in those days you didn't have FMLA leave I wasn't married to Jean-Pierre and Gabrielle's father. I had to work to support them, I, or I had to work to have pay for daycare to support them. Unfortunately, I had a pretty good job, so I couldn't get free or, or low cost or anything. I had to pay full full fee for everything, and I had to keep proving myself. I had to be there longer, do more things to keep the job for my children, to educate them and take care of them, especially Gabrielle, who's, again, is mentally disabled, needed special stuff. And him, that he would have a good college education, because that's what I think is important, educate your children. So setting those boundaries, I'm really bad at setting. Are you good at setting boundaries, Jean-Pierre? No. I'm really bad no, at I it. Let, yeah, I let, it, I let people run all over me. Yeah, it's sort of, it's like, <laughs> and work just, it's, it's always, I'll do one more thing, I'll do one more thing, I'll do yeah. one more thing. Uh-huh. Well, the great thing now is that I'm not the boss anymore. <laughs> so now I can say, oh, oh, I see it's time for me to go. But nice working with you today and have a great day and I'll see you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Whereas as the boss, okay, dear, I see you've got 15, 20 minutes. So you can do this, 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 and this. And if you have time, of course, you might not have time, but I would like to see this done. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard the whole thing. And you feel guilty and you don't want to leave and, and everything, you do it. And then you, you're proud to say, oh, by the way, I started that project for you. You know, you feel the big shot of yourself, mm. but but not anymore. Well, son, I've completed everything you've asked me to do, but I do see it's time for me to go. But, um, <laughs> so, so, wait, so, so you now have a job. I have a part-time job, 18 hours a week, wonderful hospitality company, very, very nice, very good, very understanding. And again, setting boundaries. I said, look here, I know you want me to work eight hours a day, but it's not for my financial you know, advantage to do that. So I just, six hours a day is good. And they're very accommodating, very good. So and, I'm very happy about that. And that's great. And so how did you get the job? Uh, did they see you on Instagram? Uh, no, no. And, and this is a, a, probably a mentoring thing, too. I happened to work for a guy that I trained to do the job that I did. So you trained the guy. So you're working for a guy that you trained yes. to do the job. And that. he's amazing. And he's just so well and probably so much better than I could have done. And his wife also. I trained her to do a job, the same kind of a job, in another hotel. So it comes and what was the you. job that you trained him to do? Executive housekeeper, director of housekeeping. But he's gone on. He does a lot more stuff as well. Yeah. A wonderful hotel company. And uh, his wife works for the same company. So when you thought about looking for a job, so we were, you're, you got duty-free, up and running. And how, how many hours a day do you – not hours a day, but like how much, how much time do you devote to doing duty-free? Okay, shooting? Uh, well, I, it's my full-time job. It's his job. Currently. I, I, I'm – he calls me when he's yeah. My mom's like a diva. I'm like, um, can I use you for a couple of days? <laughs> My mom's um, like a diva. Yeah. No, uh, she checks her calendar now. She lets me know. I cannot on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I can't miss work. I yeah. have to go to work. No, we're, we're going Sunday. about once. We do something, uh, a bucket list item once a month. Um, and then here and there, she's here this in New York for a couple of days. I'll go back home for a week. Um, so we're just like constantly shooting randomly. Yes, it takes a long time, but my work, I have to keep my work up. I mean, I'm, I've, I've never been absent from work. I've ever? never been, no. So you've I've, never taken a day off no, work? And I've never been late. 
Never. Oh my gosh. What yeah. about you, Jean-Pierre? Have you taken a day off? Have you ever been late? Definitely <laughs> taken days off. Definitely been late. Definitely left early. <laughs> I wish people could see your mother looking yeah, at you. Yeah. Like, how did that happen? Like, I'm not quite I know, sure the total how that happened. Right? So going back to advice to 20-somethings or 30-somethings. So boundaries, there's anything else? Set boundaries. Would... Do the best you can. And, and, and keep up the latest technology. That's something I didn't so do. So keep up with technology. So how Keep up what's going on in your field. Right. Well, I was not able to do the job. I mean, had I been off, but I actually would not have been able to do immediately the job that they were looking for. Whereas if I kept up with technology, possibly I could, but I didn't. I felt, you know, I never considered. Was it just too intimidating or do you yes. have time? Yes, or? Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing was the time, yes. And really the interest. I'm a people person. I deal with hotel guests. and, and, and Obviously, and Bill Clinton gave you M&Ms. Yeah. Lots of, you know, uh, room attendants, the employees, bringing them up and, and mentoring them. Well, mentoring them, but showing them a better way and helping them with their family stuff. I mean, working in a hotel is like working for a family. And if you're the director of housekeeping, generally you're the mother or the father of the of the employees and they come to you, oh, I have this problem, I have that right. problem. And you help them through things, you know. You know, I, I, I worked in the hotel industry for maybe 10 years. I've lost track of time. Oh, really? I, my last position was director of sales. So I was just going to say right. sales. Right. Yeah, you were, yeah, why yeah. were you going to say that? <laughs> <laughs> because you look like I, I, I look like I'd be in sales. <laughs> you look like you'd be good at that. Yes. Yeah. Your people. Talks. You know, my yeah. first um, my first sales job in the hotel business was living in D.C., moved back to Pittsburgh to go back to college. My brother yeah. was living in Pittsburgh and I was moving in with him and his roommate. And it was like, you know, I'll go to college for a year. And but I need a job. Mm-hmm. And my brother's roommate said, there's this hotel. It was the William Penn in oh, Pittsburgh. Oh, good. Oh, excellent. I know. Good I, job. It was. Established. He was like, you know, you should go apply there. I know the general manager. And I'm like thinking, apply for what? But I do it. Yeah, the, you know, like the crazy stuff. I'm right. like, I don't yeah. even know what the job right. is. Yeah. And they're like, this is great. They made me a sales manager. I never sold a thing in my life. I'm like, yeah. what does that mean? And yeah. they were like, you know well, you project? just go and you make cold calls. You yeah. like, And I went to the U.S. Steel Building, which was like, you know, I don't know how many, cold like hundreds line. of yeah. floors. Yeah. And just knocked that you was just cold called yeah, on people yeah. that was that was my throw into the sales world Amazing. which i was then in for 35 40 years yeah, yeah, thereafter yeah, that's it. but no, i loved being in the hotel yeah, business I, I think that probably that's what i should have done is as i got older done something less physical but i always felt comfortable with the housekeeping department because of the immigrants because and also because i was the only one that probably could understand them in a lot of cases you know the different places i worked right you know? well you have such a great personality but uh I enjoy the employees and they've taught me a lot. That's one thing about being a, you, you learn a lot from employees who come from other countries and you see how they struggle and you know what, if they can do it, I can do it. I love your attitude. Mm-hmm. I just love really. it that it's, it's so really positive. It's, yeah, it's so, so great. And it, it's not like you're putting it on. It's, I mean, some people uh, are like, you know, oh, but you really sense it that uh, this is who you are. You're very genuine. I, I mean, love, I don't think there's anything I, that just love, comes out. I love my true. girls. I love right. my girls. Which is, yeah. So is there anything else about duty-free that we... Sure. Everybody should know. Well, I mean, back on her point, well, A, I think it's going to be super relevant and um, it's very timely because it's not just about the bucket list. And I think the bucket list is really important. These, it is going, they are going to be moments of levity throughout the film. Um, but it really is sort of about this boomer or, or post boomer generation and like, like how we treat them. They were the largest generation before my generation, the millennials. And, 
lots of them have aged out or will soon be aged out of a job. And what happens then? Um, because social services aren't really enough. And I'm not saying we need to like open the floodgates, but you know, Medicare is on the chopping block and in some way, social security is, you know, all those things. What do we do with a generation of uh, 65 million people who may not be able to, to live and at no fault of their own? My mom worked every day of her life to raise two kids in this country and she still doesn't have anything to to right. show for it like she's not alone no um, no you're not I'm no, sure, no 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 and it's, so me and my mom says all the time if it weren't for her family yeah. she doesn't know where she would be right. right and it's the same thing you know she didn't work she worked a lot in her life but my dad worked every day of his life he worked two yeah. jobs she sometimes mm-hmm. worked one job but mm-hmm. you know it's, but it's a hard-working family yeah. and like yeah. you're you're there and all you're doing is very much what you were saying rebecca and, and i think this happens with millennials too now mm-hmm. right but we're, you're not aging out is that you're working day to day and you're yeah. you're living paycheck yes. to that's paycheck with that's no it. Plan. right yeah without a plan and that's not that's uncommon it. yeah and it's hard it's just hard like it's just really hard because i know a lot of my friends would be like well and the first question is like she doesn't have a retirement like package and it's a frustrating question because for me I'm like gosh like I wish she did or should she have like but it's like it's like the little money that she did have when you come from really nothing she put a lot of her money 401k into my college so that I could go to a great school and so you know it's kind of like well what was her choice have me go to a just okay school and have her 401k or like see her son really sore and figure it out later and that was the latter was the plan um it's just an unfortunate uh place um to be, but listen, we're all positive about it, and she's going to be fine. And to your point of family, like That's end of the day, right? My mom will be sleeping at my apartment. You know, like if if worse comes to worse. How do you right? feel about that sleeping at Jean Pierre's apartment? She's she's giving you Jean Pierre a look. Like she would have to take care really? of the dog. Yeah, really? <laughs> it's a big consideration. <laughs> I was just reading about Ernestine Shepard. Ernestine. So when, <laughs> Ernestine is now I think eighty, but when she was seventy-four, she made the Guinness World Book of Records for being the oldest female bodybuilder. But here's the best part. She didn't start exercising until she was 56. What? Really? And and she's so cool looking. I mean, Google her. She's just really cool. So it's Ernestine Shepard. I think it's S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D. So I think that goes to that. You know, you're never too too old. You're never too young when you want to do something. If you have that spirit. There you go. Your mom could be a bodybuilder. There you go. Right. (laughs) You could be a bodybuilder. So when you're doing the documentaries and what are you finding out when you're looking at these problems like how do you how do we fix them yeah i mean that's a good question i don't know the half of it um i just know that like what my mom makes in social security having had a pretty good job it's peanuts especially if you live in the city you know you have to pay a regular rent like it's just it's peanuts so um it's a good question i think at the end of the day we are going to have to be okay with working for the rest of your life i mean for, especially for my generation, let's not act as if there will be a retirement plan. How does that make and you feel? You're thir- how old are you now? 32. Okay, so you're 32. You're thinking you have to. You, you could live to be 120. Yeah, I know. Okay, uh, I just I have to get used to it. I don't I don't think it's it with the way things are going, inflate all of that. It's not realistic for me to believe that I could put away enough money fast enough that I could just 
cut myself off. I mean, maybe as an entrepreneur, there are bigger risk, bigger reward that might maybe might happen for me and you get okay with it and you just, you just keep working. And that's why it's more and more important to find what you love and to be doing what you love every day. Because end of the day, my mom's 76 and she doesn't complain about having had to work every day of her life because she found something that she loved, right? It wasn't like, oh, I have to go to work today. It was like, I'm going to work going to, to work, do yeah. this. Like, I'm, yeah. Yeah, it's great to be doing what we love yeah. and making a living on what we do. Right. That, yeah. That's the other part too. Yeah. And I, we talk about this a lot on the podcast about, you know, go do what you love, but if you can't yeah. pay the mortgage yeah. doing what you Figure love, it's, yeah, it's gotta, it. there's got to be that kind of Yes, of what we love, which is a great segue mm-hmm. into I'm done with that. So yes. we talked about the things we love. Let's talk about the things we're done with. Mm-hmm. So I'll start because one of the things I was thinking about as I was in the shower, which most of my great moments come up when I'm in the shower, I'm done with stopping when I'm done versus when I'm tired. Ah, okay. Okay. Got that. So I'll give you an example of that. So I'll be working late at night and I'm like so tired and I won't stop because I have to finish the project. Mm. And so I'll keep going, going, going where I should just say I'm done for tonight. And I'll pick it up in the morning, Mm -hmm. but I won't, I won't be done until I'm done. Yeah. And that could be hours. They'll go on. Then I wake up and I'm tired. I feel like I'm hungover and I haven't really drank anything. So I'm not hungover, but I have that feeling of that daisy glazy Mm -hmm. look all day Mm -hmm. and I'm not productive. Mm -hmm. So I'm done with that. That's great. Well, I will be done when I stop making this because now I don't work every day. I work three days a week. I make a little list now of the things I'm going to accomplish in that day. But I don't make it so extensive now that it covers so many hours. So I know that I have three or four things on the list. And when I finished, no matter how I feel, I'm going to make that other list for another day. I'm not going to add on. I'm done. So, so you're done. done so you're done voice. when you're tired versus when you're yes, done. That's it. Right. But I only make a list. I'll complete my list of three or four things, but it won't take me eight hours. The rest of the time, it's all about me now. This like, is my and so what do you thing. do when it's about you? What do you do in that time? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting so mentored here. I'm, loving, I'm like leaning into the I'm like leaning over the table. I volunteered to walk. We recently lost a little therapy dog we had in the house for my son. So now I volunteer and I walk two little dogs for my neighbor. Walk around the park. We look at the squirrels. We uh, draw. <laughs> so you just do things you, that you want to do. Want to do. Just it's all about me. Right. Yeah. It's all about me now. Yes. I just love this. I love this. It. She is a diva. Yes. <laughs> Mom That's has become it. a diva. Like, Get me a croissant. I want a croissant. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Shantia? What are you doing? Um, I'm done with. Well, speaking of the whole like entrepreneur thing and working forever, I'm done with doing things at a discount like I'm just done with it you know it's like um because I want somebody to like me or I want somebody to work with me again I'm just done with it because at the end of the day like I've proven my worth year after year after year like I know that I'm like a solid worker I'm focused there are results and like and I just am tired of doing contracts and like taking a cut like and you know especially now that I'm doing my, like this film I can't get paid you know half if I'm trying to really live through that making of this film I can't do it anymore for some corporation that has all of the money right this is one of my favorite ones when 
I first started Girl Quake and one of my clients said, you know, a major, major client said, well, I know that the program's 50000 but we have we only have 25000 mm-hmm. We don't have much money. To which I said, okay, I'm going to make you a bet that I will guarantee my mortgage. I'm betting my mortgage on this one. <laughs> yeah. You have more money than I do. Yeah, okay. yeah I will yeah. find the right, money. Right, It's yeah. like, okay, let's just talk about who doesn't have the money. Yeah. Um, it's Okay, but I find this really fascinating because this is a female problem for mm-hmm. sure, right? Mm-hmm. Female, we're constantly undercutting ourselves. I yeah. mean, it's like, oh, well, you want, you know, it's a $10,000 job, but you only have 3000 Okay, because yeah. it's only my time. Yeah, yeah. And then you're taking yourself away from mm-hmm. the things where you can make money. Yeah. But you're a guy. Yeah. Well, a guy with a single mom. And I had a dad, but he wasn't really involved so um, as much. So I, uh, yeah, I don't have the, I mean, it's not tenacity, whatever the word is. do you, do you find that with your is. other guy friends too? Is this, are you? Yeah, you I mean, I think. It's, I, not, it's yeah. not just women. It's, yeah, going I, I think this? I'm also in a creative field, so it's a little bit different. But like a, a lot of my guy friends are just like really hardcore about, no, this is how much I'm getting paid. But what I've learned about myself is that what I need is a partner who can be that guy. I want to learn and I want, you know, but I don't know if I will ever be as voracious as somebody else who is money-minded specifically would be. And I think that that's okay. Like for a while I wanted to be a businessman. Um, I think I can still be a businessman, but also be true to, you know, my, how I want to react, which is to your point. Yeah, I'll do it. It's just my time. I love it. Blah, blah, blah. I need somebody else in front of me. That's like, Okay, until that person gets there, call me. Okay. Okay, I'm serious. I'm serious. Because it's something I struggled with all of my life. I don't struggle with it any longer. Yeah. um, Because I do everything for now. Yeah. (laughs) I do everything for free now. (laughs) That's a bad joke. (laughs) I don't know. Undercharge. I just do everything now. No. But when I was was first starting out as an entrepreneur, I would be constantly doing that. Like, you know, oh, well, I can do it for less. I could do it for less. Yeah. Yeah. And then what happened was I didn't have enough money to pay other people. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that was the big part. It was like, well, I could. Could refinance my house. I depleted my yep. 401k. Yep. I have IRAs. I yep. mortgaged the place. Yep. But then, when there was no money to pay people, yep. was when you're kind yeah. of like, yeah. oh, now what am That's I supposed yeah. to do? Yeah. So call me because I, I quit doing it then. It was like that. That was that moment. Okay, so now we're going to do takeaways. <laughs> And we have a different takeaway on takeaways today. So what I thought we would do, everyone, is we've been recording. Joining us is Jacob, who is an intern with Jean-Pierre working on Duty Free. And so I've asked him to join us and ask a question, as well as I'm going to ask Jean-Pierre to ask his mom a question he's never asked her, and for Rebecca to ask her son a question she's never asked him. So we'll start with Jacob. Jacob, hi. (laughs) You've been sitting over there listening to us. I have. have. So Um, what's a question? Yeah, so Rebecca, if you could go back in time um, to when you had your daughter, what piece of advice would you give yourself? I made a big mistake with my daughter. Uh, When uh, she was four, I became very ill and I sent her to England. And uh, I thought, well, that's great. You know, when my mother died, I had to go and live with my sister, that it would be very, very good uh, for her. And I thought, oh, the family loved her and they didn't want her to come back. And that was good because I was ill, but I had to work. And it's only until recently that uh, she shared with us, and in fact, you'll see in the, the movie Duty Free, where she has a conversation, not with me, but with Jean-Pierre, where she explains how very, very sad she was 
that she missed me, that I sent her away, and the feeling of never knowing when she would see me again. Knowing that now, I would not have sent her away. That's one thing. But do you put that, and I'm not trying to make you feel better, I want to make you feel better, but my real reason is, real question is, do you put that in that you made the best decision at the best time? And I think a lot of times in the moment, best. we're making the best decision. Hindsight. I made the best decision for her, and actually she had a very good life with my family. She went to private school, she went to the American College in Carroll, she had the very best, more than I could offer her. But I couldn't make her feel better, and I can't take it back, and it's something she's carrying with her. That, and I say, Joanne, you have to consider it like lost luggage, like it's something that happened. You lost it at the airport, it's gone. I can't change you back. But she, I wish I could find a way to make her feel better. But I can't, and I tried. So now I feel bad that I put her through that or, or made her feel that to me, I could have dealt with it. But she cannot, and I feel sorry for that. I can understand. That's... That's one of those hard ones in life, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, I think sometimes when young women are, um, or women of any age, when you have an abortion, sometimes and then you can't yeah. get pregnant years yeah. later, you you yeah. know, you regret that decision. Mm -hmm. But you're making the best decision in the moment right. because yes. you're looking at her survival. Yes. And just like if you're 16 and pregnant, you mm -hmm. may not be yeah. the best mother. So you're making the best decision. You don't know you're not going to. So these, it's all those decisions we make yeah. in life that yeah. in the moment. Um, I'm just really sad, though. That well, your daughter is struggling I mean, so much with she's it. She's struggling with it. We talk on the phone three or four times a week. But it, it wasn't until I saw the interview how I realized how very deeply impacted she was. And I was talking to her before, but I thought she got over it. It's something that she resents. So again, anybody, family first. Right. Family first. Right. But you made the best decision at the moment, yeah, I really yes. do think. I agree. Right. Um, okay, so my question for my Rebecca. mom, oh, well, I was running this morning and there's this new song that I really like, and it's just about like living while you're young. And I just wonder whether you feel like, whether you feel like you lived while you were young, that like you lived to the fullest in the first half of your life, because I never experienced that half with you. I only experienced the latter half. Um, I just wonder, because I know that I am, I wanted to know whether you feel like the first half of your life was like vibrant and exciting and you like lived to the fullest. Well, it was, again, my mother died when I was 17, but I had a very good education. I traveled a lot, I lived with my sister. I lived my life. I, I was with the Beatles. I'd go and see the Beatles on my lunch break. I, I, everything was so simple then. I didn't have to work. I had a family there I could fall back on. Yes, I lived my life then. And I learned a lot more then than I've learned since. Wow. Mm. Cool. Going to going to lunch with the Beatles. I mean, yeah, I know, so yeah, I know cool. you weren't going to lunch with the Beatles, but I think uh, well, that should yeah. be your headline. I went yeah, to lunch yeah, with the Beatles. The Beatles. <laughs> but they they come over that John Lennon's first wife, Cynthia Powell, her family still lives in my hometown. Wow, just across the Mersey, yes. And what about a que when a question for Jean Pierre that you've not asked? 
Well, this is the kind of thing, you know, so you hear me talking about Gabriel. Well, what about Gabriel? That's my biggest worry now is my son. Your son? What plan do you have for Gabriel? How how would you how would you advise me to proceed with him? Now, as as I'm getting older and probably he will outlive me mm. and his future. Um, well, I think it's going to be really hard. I think I think Gabriel will be really lost without you. Um, but how would well, I guess the easiest thing to say is that like I will make sure that Gabriel is fine and taken care of. So, you know, I'm not going to just like leave him. Um, what the plan is now? I mean, I don't know what the plan is. I mean, I think it's like really, really difficult. It's a difficult situation for you. It's going to be a difficult situation for me. But it is a day-to-day thing. There's not much that you can do. Gabriel has schizophrenia and he can only do so much and only willingly wants to do so much. So, um, there, you know, you are doing the best that you can. And um, and I will continue to do do the same, um, but I, I don't think it's 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 almost impossible to plan normally with somebody who does not live a normal life. It's it's not it's fruitless. Um, so I guess in a nutshell, you don't have to worry about after you, because I will step in for you, as it pertains to Gabrielle. Well, that has to make you feel wonderful. That's yeah, good. It's, it's and a why worry. Would I, like hug you because it's, you're so sweet. It's a worry. It's a worry. Is for whatever I've done, I'm still leaving that unfinished business at the end. And who knows with the with the issues of today of social and disability and Medicaid and all the things that people like Gabriel would depend upon are in such dire uh, straits right now. There's so much uncertainty and I can deal with anything. I'm a planner. I can do this. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do that and that and that. But when you're in the hands of somebody who makes the decisions about you, it's it's very difficult. But now you know that your family... And, you know, one of the things I'm loving about our conversation today is we're not just skimming over the deep things that are going through all of our heads in life, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I think about this with my mom. Right now, she is self-sufficient. What if she isn't? Mm -hmm. What, you know... We don't really have a plan. I mean, we'll come up with one because right. I don't know what that will look like. But my mom does not want to go to a home in mm-hmm. any way, shape, or form. I mean, for her, that's taking yeah. away yeah. and her independence. And so I think we're all confronted, whether you're a millennial like you are, Jean-Pierre, thinking about, you know, how are you yeah. taking care of your family? Me mm-hmm. as a boomer, thinking about yeah. how I'm taking care of my mom. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, are you thinking about your son and Gabrielle? I don't know if you have what dynamics are in your family, but we all have them. And I think a lot of times we're not talking about them, just like as women, we're not talking a lot about miscarriages. We're not talking about those real things that are going on in our lives. So I want to thank you all for being so vulnerable and really sharing things that we're not, we're skimming over so much right now in, in conversations that will make us all think about how are we moving forward? So we have to, I could go on and, you know, this has just been wonderful, but where can we find you? On Instagram, we can find you, Rebecca. Rebrexit. Yeah, you can find my mom at at Rebrexit, R-E-B-R-E-X-I-T. And you can follow the film at Duty Free Film on Instagram and Duty Free Film on Facebook. Um, And yeah, we hope, to your point, Denise, that this film will dive deep into sort of the universal aspect of survival um, for for all of us, not just my mom. Um, And then hopefully a little 
little bit of, of laughter and, and um, happiness through the bucket list items. Right, which are great, which yeah. are great. Thank you so thank much. You so thank, much. You. Thank, thank you. Thanks for having thank us. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. And to get Mentoring Moments the moment it's live every Wednesday, remember to download new episodes on the Podcast One app or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or podcastone.com. And be sure to rate, review, and share. You know, one of the big takeaways for me today is Rebecca's new life motto. And that is, in quotes, it's all about you now followed by because it's always been about everybody else, but now it's survival. And the thing that I want us all to remember is we don't want to get to that point of realizing that it's okay to say we need to be number one and not in a selfish way, but it's that oxygen in the airplane way that you need to have the oxygen so you can help others, but not waiting until you get that to that point of needing it for survival and just making a part of our lives so that we don't get to that point. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and check out our show notes on Forbes.com and talk to me. I'm easy to find. I'm always on Twitter at Denise Ristari. And until next week, keep sharing your stories because your stories matter. Download new episodes of Mentoring Moments every Wednesday at podcastone.com, forbes.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at iTunes. I'm Christina Wallace. And I'm Kate Scott Campbell. And we're the hosts of The Limit Does Not Exist, a podcast for human Venn diagrams. That's right. We talk to people with intersecting interests in the arts, STEM, entrepreneurship, and so much more. The easiest way to explain science to non-scientists is to use art. I worry that we lose a lot of creative engineers because our engineering curriculum is not creative. Education should be about empowering people to become better thinkers, good problem solvers, creative inventors, and ethical caring citizens. Download new episodes of The Limit Does Not Exist every Monday on the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower that does not appear to be following, following the rule of law is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.